Um, I want to share something special with you today. Uh, some of you already know this, but uh, this week was pretty cool for us. This, uh, we get to spend uh, last Sunday, last weekend with our daughter and son-in-law in, -law in uh, South Carolina. But on Wednesday, we got back. It was a big, big day because our second grandchild was born. Uh, and there might even be a picture. I don't know. Uh, oh, um, that's kind of a really blown up picture of her, isn't it? Uh, but her name, her name is Autumn Rose, Autumn Rose Nation. First grandchild with a nation name in it. That's pretty cool. Uh, but this was our son and daughter-in-law who live in Hong Kong. And uh, she, Autumn was brought into this world. Rose is my mom's name. And uh, she's probably listening this morning to so shout out to her. Uh, but Autumn Rose. And so we're pretty excited, pretty cool uh, to be able to celebrate like that. Um, well, let me uh, I'm gonna talk about important things now. I get beyond more important things. All right. Uh, today we're going to be talking about unity and, uh, and how important unity is in our world today. Um, you know, someone said that the United States has never been totally unified because we are a country where we have the freedom to think and do whatever basically we want. And because of that, there's always been kind of a lot of disagreement in our world. You know, we think back and we at one point in history had a, a civil war uh, where two sides went against each other. Uh, and, uh, and there was a lot of uh, family conflict and a lot of nation conflict. But, you know, it seems to me like that today we're living in some uh, of the most divided times in our nation's history. We pray that there's never another civil war, but, but there is a lot of incivility that's out there. There's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of disagreements. There's a lot of division and conflict out. And, and there's a lot of things that divide us, obviously, politics, you know, we know that our country is divided almost 50-50, it seems like, uh, politically. Uh, there's, there's climate change, a lot of disagreement about that. There's, there's racism, obviously. There's the issues at the border. There's, there's gay rights. There's Afghanistan. Uh, capitalism versus socialism. Uh, there's masks versus no mask. And vaccine versus no vaccine, right? Just to name a few. I thought it was interesting that a CBS poll that was recently conducted said that 54% of Americans today say the biggest threat to our way of life is not financial collapse, it's not natural disasters, it's not even foreign invasions, but it's actually our own fellow Americans. That over half of the people in the country are worried about their fellow citizens in our country. We're living in divided times, and this past year has only added to the chaos, obviously, as people line up to argue about things that really are opinions or should be opinions, things that we can't prove one way or the other. You know, we've forgotten how to disagree without being disagreeable. We've forgotten how to forgive and make up when we get past something. We've forgotten how to tolerate people who don't agree with us, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, that sort of thinking is not limited to the secular world. Because obviously that sort of thinking has come into the church as well. Because we're all human beings, because we're all, you know, living the world, we have a hard time dealing with that. And it's caused conflict in many churches. You know, in fact, I've even heard of churches that have, have almost split over the mask issue, wearing masks or not. I've seen and heard of people who have tried to prove you should or shouldn't wear a mask based on Scripture, which I believe Scripture's silent on that particular one, Right? You know, for some people, everything now is an emotional win or lose proposition. And then you throw in today what has been aptly named cancel culture, 
where if you disagree with me, we can't just disagree. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to, I'm going to make you disappear if possible, cancel you out. And the stakes are raised highly. Everybody wants to win, and everybody thinks that they're right. Now, where does all this conflict and where does all this disagreement originate? Well, we've all got a human pride and you know, ego ourselves, but there really is one source from all of, of all of this, and that is Satan. And you know what? He has done a fantastic job of pitting people against people that they care about, even, even believers against each other, whenever in reality, we are called upon to pursue peace for the promotion of the gospel. And we don't have to agree on everything. In fact, we never will. Sometimes I don't even agree with myself on everything. Ever, ever think about that? You, I'm, you're, I'm adamant about, wait a minute, I don't agree with that, you know? How can we agree with everyone else we don't agree with ourselves? But today, we do need to be kind. We need to have some tolerance for people who disagree with us, and we need to forgive and reconcile. It's the missing element in our world today. There never seems to be a conclusion to our conflict. We never come together, and that's, that's a problem. You know, Romans chapter 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What an amazing verse of Scripture, as far as it is possible, you know, <laughs> because it's not always possible, right? As much as it depends on you, you, you don't dictate what other people do. However, you live at peace with everyone. And even when you are right, and most of us think that we're right most of the time, we need to seek unity in that. In fact, that's why I want to share this with you today, because I think it's time that we need to reboot unity. We're in a series that we've been in for several weeks now called Reboot, and we've talked about several topics that we have been lax on in the last few months specifically. We talked the first week about hope. It's easy to lose hope and try to restore hope, and we talked about our Celebrate Recoveries, a ministry that helps people who are dealing with hurts, habits, and hang-ups, then they can find hope and meaning in life. We talked about evangelism, how, you know, in this broken world that we're living in, this divided world and separated and isolated world, we don't share our faith very often anymore. We talked about the importance of community, how we need to come together and build community and, and groups, our journey groups. We talked about service a couple weeks ago and in, invited people to come into service. And last week, Dan did a great job talking about revival. We all need that, right? Today, though, we're going to talk about unity, which I think is key in all of these areas, maybe. Now, understand that we're not going to solve all the problems of culture. I'm not that idealistic to think that we're going to fix things from this point. However, the church ought to be leading in the pursuit of unity and peace, the church ought to be leading in these things, and unfortunately, we're not seeing that, and we're not doing that. We ought to seek for unity and oneness, first of all, within the body of Christ, and then in our community, and then around the world, and around the world. That, obviously, is what Jesus longed for, and it's what Jesus prayed for. In John chapter 17, we find the longest recorded prayer of Jesus. It's also, I believe, the last recorded prayer of Jesus. It was the night of his arrest. He's with his disciples. He's in agony and anguish, and he's talking about the important things in life and in his ministry. And listen to what he says in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in, the, in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be one, also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. 
I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. There's a couple of phrases in there that are so important, and one of them is the phrase, so that. This word, the, word, the phrase, so that, means or tells us that the purpose for the prayer is that Jesus' followers would be brought to complete unity. That was his, one of his longest prayers, that he, we would be unified. Now, is the church of the day a unified church? No, it's not. The church of the day is not unified, unfortunately. Now, there may be some good reasons for that, and we'll talk about those here in a few moments, but, but this was Jesus' prayer, and it ought to be our pursuit. It should be our pursuit. Now, I want to say that I am so happy to say that we are experiencing great unity in our church. You know, God is blessing us with unity, and we want to preserve that. It is a treasure. It is a gift that God's given to us. We all need to do our best to maintain the unity. In fact, in Ephesians 4, it says, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So it tells us that unity begins with humility. It includes love and kindness and gentleness and patience for other people. Paul notes here also that, that unity is created and maintained by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I don't naturally live out unity we don't naturally love people. We don't naturally, uh, are naturally gentle and patient with people and humble. But the Holy Spirit helps us do that. So the Spirit is the creator of unity and, and gives us that gift. It's a great gift. And our job is to make sure that we maintain that. And we do that through the power of the Holy Spirit as well. But there are also some conditions, I think, for unity that make it, make it possible for it to exist, some things that we need to focus on in order for unity to be experienced by all. The first one, I think, is that we find unity whenever we know what we're unified around. We know what we're unified around. I mentioned before that there may be some reasons why there's not unity in the church, and one of those reasons is that not everybody who claims to be a Christian understands and accepts the truth of Jesus Christ. I mean, it's as simple as that, unfortunately. And there can be no true unity unless unity is based on truth around the work and the person of Jesus. He is the focus of our unity. And so because of that, it has to be focused on the truth of Jesus. You know, you've heard me speak before about progressive churches, and you probably get tired of that, but, but I think it's one of the great heresies of our day. And the idea of progressive sounds like a good thing, but like progressive politics seeks to get rid of our country's foundations like the Constitution. And there's no shame. I mean, they're not ashamed of saying that. We don't think an old document should dictate what we do today. That's progressive politics, and let's create a new, a new world. Uh, but like they try to get rid of the past, progressivism in the church undermines the authority of the Bible, and it replaces it with postmodern thought. It's emotional-based. It's not concerned with truth or history. It really is making it up as you go. You know, because of that, that's not truth, and we can't rally and be united about that. Alisa Childers said, progressive Christians are not just a group of Christians who are changing their minds on social issues and politics. They often deny core essential doctrines of the Bible, which leads them to preach a totally different gospel. And a totally different gospel cannot be the basis of unity, and it's one reason today why the church is not united. We would long for it to be united, but not around falsehood and lies. 
We find unity when we know what we're united around. And there are certain doctrinal statements and doctrinal truths that we hold to if we call ourselves Christians. Here's a few of them, very basic things. And they should and can unite us. The one thing that can unite us is the identity of Jesus Christ. Who Jesus Christ. Peter's confession of faith says it best that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus clarified it even more by saying that he was the only begotten son of God. Jesus is God in the flesh, equal with God. He became human in order to come and to live a perfect life for us, an example, and then die a sacrificial death. He is both God and man, the promised Messiah. Understand the identity of Jesus Christ is essential to trusting him and having faith in what he has done for us. We have to understand who Jesus is. The second truth we have to embrace is the death and resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing more important than the death and resurrection of Jesus. We celebrate his birth, but to be honest with you, that is a kind of a minor thing compared to his death and resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So Paul says this is of first importance. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the most important part of the gospel. Our faith is not just about principles, it's not about ideologies, it's not just about historical facts, but it's based on a real person and real events. And because of those real events, we can have hope for our own future and our own eternity. Our salvation hinges on the fact that Jesus died, he was buried in the ground, and he came back to life again. We can never compromise that truth. The third truth is the necessity of Jesus. Not only who Jesus is, but what Jesus did, but the fact that we have to have him alone. Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no other name, no, no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by mankind by which we must be saved. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believing these truths about Jesus are not optional. It's not just, it's a good thing to believe. They are essential for salvation. And they're the essential basis for Christian unity. And we have to understand that there, Jesus alone, there is no other Savior, no other way to the Father. And, and, if, and if you say that, then you're not if you say there is, then you're not really a Christian. Christianity is exclusive in that way. And that's why we have to hold tight to that truth. He is not one way to the Father. He is the only way to the Father. Secondly, we find unity when we know what we're unified for, what we're unified around, and what we're unified for. In Jesus' prayer for unity, there is also a prayer for purpose. Jesus said, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The reason that we are unified is so the world may know. Jesus said, uh, they will know you are Christians by your love for one another. We are unified so the world will be impressed and will focus their attention on Jesus. The purpose of our mission is to help save the world. One of the best ways to cultivate unity in any group is to focus on a project together is to have a common goal, a common mission together. One of the enemies of, of unity is for every person to have their own individual agenda or mission. And unfortunately, one of the reasons why the church today is not united is because many churches today are hung up on different missions, not bad missions, 
Not horrible things, but not the mission that God has given to us. Missions like social justice, which is good, but not the main thing. We're not called to be social activists. You know, we, have a, we actually have a local ministry who calls himself a social activist. That's not the best thing, you know? The main thing is to be, keep the main thing the main thing. And that's what will unify us. And that's difficult because there are a lot of good things out there. There are a lot of things crying out for our attention and our energy and our resources and our passion. But everything we do should be done so that the world might know and, and come to know Jesus and follow him. Amen. You know, I know that Jesus in his day, he was tempted to be distracted by good things. There's no doubt about it. In fact, the religious leaders in Jesus' day were always trying to distract him from his true purpose. They were always trying to do that. They would ask him about politics. Now, they tried to draw him into politics. And, and one day they asked him, Jesus, do you really think we ought to pay taxes? I mean, that's a hot button, right, for everybody. But Jesus said, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. He kind of, he handled that wisely, right? They tried to draw him into moral issues, tried to distract him about things like divorce and things like that, that, you know, that, that Jesus would speak on, but he didn't get focused on those things. No doubt Jesus was oftentimes asked by his own disciples about getting involved in their, their own agendas or their controversial issues of that day. Uh, I think one of Jesus' disciples was what was called a Zionist, who was a nationalist. So he was all about Israel. You know, we're going to make Israel a great nation again. And, and that was a big pull in that day. But Jesus, he was not distracted by all the good things around him. He kept the mission central. And so we can be united when we understand that we are left here on this earth for a purpose. And that purpose is to point people to Jesus. We can solve all the problems of the world. We really can. But we can put our attention to solving those. But if people leave this world without Jesus, they're going to be lost. And that's the greatest tragedy. We can focus and be united about a, a mission we've been given. Thirdly, we find unity when we pick the important battles to engage in and avoid the less essential ones. What is it that divides us? Oftentimes, it's the battles that we fight because of our opinion and of our passions. And maybe our agenda is political or theological or intellectual. Or maybe our agenda is, is racial or social. And that's not to undermine any of those things and, and state the importance of those, those issues. There are a lot of good and important things that we could focus on. And oftentimes, our personal stances on these things Issues divide us and cause conflict. You know, have you ever seen a time when, when our world was so divided politically over figures? It's horrible, isn't it? Dividing families and dividing churches and everything else. Guys, we have to use wisdom and tolerance for one another. And we have to love each other rather than engage in secondary things that don't, that don't really, that oftentimes seem like the main thing, but they're not the main thing. That's why we have to be so cautious about what we get wrapped up in. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 2. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Wouldn't it be wise if we just were cautious about what quarrels and arguments we let ourselves get drug into? And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them re repentance leading them to knowledge of the truth and that it, they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. 
Satan is always trying to get us wrapped up in issues. You know, in that day, one of the things they argued about, and we think it's so ridiculous, they argued about their ancestry. They would actually have contests to see who could name their ancestors back the furthest. Now, you and I would say, well, that's just stupid, you know, to do that. But think about some of the things that we get embroiled in today that cause hard feelings and hurt people. It's, you know, it's it's our culture that, that pulls us in. Now, we're not to opt out of these conversations or cultural battles, but we are to be careful. We're to be selective and judicious about what we engage in or who we engage with and how we engage people. One of the problems today is we've forgotten how to have a conversation with people that isn't an argument where we allow people to say, this is how I feel, and this is how I feel, and I understand how you feel, and I value that. You know, we've got to get back to those sort of things. It's okay to disagree on important topics, and we need to learn how to compromise so we can work together for the good of the gospel, right? You know, Augustine, who was a church father many, many years ago, said this, in the essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, love. What, a, what an incredible, beautiful statement. In the essentials, unity. That means truth. That means what we know is true based on God's word. In non-essentials, that means opinions, liberty, freedom. Say what you want. Feel like you want. It's okay. But in all things, love, that's what causes, that's what creates unity. You know, we can fight every moral and social and cultural battle, but the only thing that will matter in the end is whether a person is saved or lost. And that's the mission that God has given to us, and that's the mission, I believe, that can unite us. And then fourthly, we'll find unity when we remember that we are family, that we are family, and we stop hating people for any issue at all, but we we remember that we're the family of God. There are a lot of enemies of unity, and of course, the evil one is always trying to divide us and destroy us. But when we forget that we're family, our unity becomes compromised. Families disagree and even fight. Even preachers' families, we do that, you know? But our goal is to make up. We might disagree, we might have arguments, we have opinions, but God's family can never, ever forget that we are blood relatives united by the shed blood of our Father, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That's the prayer that Jesus had. It's the prayer that Paul had as well, as he shared there. You know, America is deeply divided about a lot of issues today. If we look to the world, we can feel hopeless. We honestly can feel really hopeless about things and thinking, you know, we'll never be able to move forward as much disagreement as there is. And the church is made up of people and we're susceptible to the same conflicts, but, but we have someone to be unified around. That's Jesus. We have something, a mission to be unified for. We have the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom, and we have a family to belong to. And we ought to be different. The church should be different. And the church is to be a place of inclusion that supersedes our differences. You know, somebody said the church is made up of natural enemies. The church brings together um, people from all walks of life. 
And what binds us together is not common education, it's not common race, it's not common income levels, it's not common politics or common nationality or common accents or common jobs or anything else of that sort. Christians come together because we have all been saved by Jesus Christ. Because we are all sinners, deserving to be lost, but we've been saved by Christ. We're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And we have to live and love in that way. Let me, go, let me show you a picture of unity in the Bible that I think is uh, very descriptive and, and kind of helps us understand our differences and how we're yet one. And that is the Bible says that we are the body of Christ. So the analogy the Bible uses, 1 Corinthians 12, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. God has put the body together so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. Isn't that an incredible thought to think about that your body cares for itself? Each part hopefully cares for the other part of the body. When you get a rogue body part that doesn't work, it affects everybody, right? But the goal is for the body to work together. We can be one without being identical. You don't have a lot of identical body parts. Ever think about that? You got two thumbs, but they're turned in different directions, right? Your body is made differently, and yet it's one. They're all different. They're not uniform. Embracing unity does not mean uniformity. Uniformity is about making diverse things the same. But unity is about direct appreciating how all the different parts come together to serve a singular function. They have a purpose, and they all work together to do it, and they get the job done. The body of Christ is made up of many different kinds of people. Living as a unified people doesn't mean that we ignore our differences. It means acknowledging our differences and then affirming that what holds us together in common is even more important and powerful than what could potentially pull us apart. And so Paul uses this body example in spite of the fact that social, economic, uh, ethnic, and political issues and factors of that day that separated them were stronger than they are in our day. In that day, it was worse, if you could imagine. And there was very little tolerance for anybody around them in that day. And I think this is where this example is where the church can lead the charge for the rest of culture. This is where we're failing, guys, because we're not loving people and we're not uniting people any better than what the world's doing. It's what we're supposed to be in call, to doing and called to do. Now, where does unity start? Well, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit creates unity and makes us one, and then our job is to maintain that. So it starts with the Holy Spirit, and it starts seeking God to create more unity in us, and that can begin on a very practical level. It's just how you think. It's just not letting yourself be drawn into those arguments or that conflict. It's having love, humility, remember gentleness, uh, kindness, um, patience for other people. But it starts with us individually as we each strive to seek and protect unity in our own lives, in our family, in our church. And then we seek unity based on truth among other churches and other believers. We're not enemies of other churches. We're all on the same team. We have a common enemy, though, who's out to destroy us. So the enemy of my enemy, when they say the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if other believers are not our enemies. 
The Satan is the enemy that we all have in common. Instead of focusing on the things that divide us, let's focus on the things that unite us and the things that make us one, who Jesus is, the death and resurrection of Jesus, our need for him. He is the great healer and unifier. And the lost world that, that we're dealing with is getting more lost all the time, it seems. So I want to challenge you to think this week about how you can be a unifier. And maybe it starts in your family. Maybe it starts in your workplace. Maybe it starts among your neighbors. Do you even know your neighbors? Or could you be the one that could bring your neighborhood together and minister and serve your neighborhood? Maybe that's what God's calling you to do as a believer. But one thing is true, sure, we can't do this without God's help and without his power in our lives. And that's why, first of all, we have to be united with Jesus. We have to be in a relationship with him. And I want to challenge you to think about, so many people would like to make the world better, and it begins with us. And it begins with being in a relationship with God so that we can be a place that his work can permeate the world around us. You know, we've been talking about rebooting some of these things, and I hope that, that you're thinking about your part in that. And next week, we're going to conclude this series of messages talking about how to belong to the body of Christ. We're going to talk about salvation and membership. And if you are considering a decision for Jesus, or if you want to know more about our church, if you want to be baptized, it's going to be kind of a decision day. We like to do this a couple times a year because everybody puts things off, and we all need a date to say, this is when I want to do it. So if you're thinking about any decision for Christ, I would love to have a conversation with you uh, this week. Just You can email me or text me or whatever, and we'll talk about your next step. If you have never been baptized and you know that that's something you want to do and need to do, uh, we're going we're gonna to be focusing on that a little bit next week too. So I, this will kind of draw this, this series to a, a conclusion, and I just want to encourage you to think and pray about that this week. But if you are a believer and you're walking with the Lord, I want you to think about your next step in unifying the world. Will you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this topic because uh, we know what your word says, but we get into the world and we just see so much division and conflict and hostility. And Lord, wouldn't it be great if we, like Jesus, could come into our world? God, if we could speak truth, if we could avoid the controversies that embroil people, if we could just show hope and love and salvation to the world around us, if we could bring people together, God, and create healing create peace, how much more like Jesus that we would be. So, Father, I pray this morning that each of us would see ourselves as agents of change and agents of unity and harmony. God, we would work together, that we would defeat the evil one who seeks to destroy and uh, distract our focus from you, and that, Lord, we would be humble and patient and loving as Jesus. Father, you've called us to all these things, Lord. And Lord, I pray that as we come today and as we recommit ourselves and reboot this issue in our life, that God, you would make us world changers. God, you would move in our hearts, draw us to you. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be down front. If you want someone to pray with you or talk with, uh, with you a bit, uh, just welcome to, to share with us in that. Would you stand with us? We go into worship.